0: hello and welcome to your intention matters the podcast my name is paul Madat. thanks everybody for uh, listening to this episode today i have katie ivy she is rvp sales at demand base katie welcome
1: Hey, Paul, so good to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for, uh, for freeing up some time here. Before we get started, for those that might be unfamiliar with you, uh, provide a quick intro into who you
1: are. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it could be a long or a short answer, depending on what you're looking for. Uh, as you mentioned, I run our mid-market sales org at Demandbase, typically based in New York during this weird season that we're all living uh, through. I'm in Atlanta at the moment, quarantining with the fam. Uh, but I run our entire mid-market sales org um, for both coasts. i uh, been at demand Base just a little bit over a year. Uh, prior to that, I ran a large commercial sales team at Marketo for a couple of years prior to them becoming part of Adobe, uh, which was an amazing ride. Marketo is such a fabulous uh, technology, yeah. really good company. I uh, spent some time at Salesforce uh, as well as some time in a, a really small startup here in Atlanta. Uh, so I've been in B2B sales for a while and, and running B2B sales teams uh, for most of my career.
0: Well, you know, I'm looking forward to you uh, sharing your story with us. But as you as you touched on it, we're, fil- we're recording this uh, really towards the end of April here in the middle of an unprecedented time. And I, I, I don't I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, how are you doing right now? How's your team? How's your life? How's your family you hanging in there? All things considered?
1: Definitely hanging in there, all things considered. Uh, It's been a very interesting time. Um, I personally am not a fan of work from home. I typically love managing teams in the office. Uh, I love being in the office. I love meeting with customers face-to-face and I love traveling. So all of those things have been relatively disrupted over the last couple of, what are we, seven weeks in, I think. To feels like seven place. years, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, there's it's very hard to keep the days straight. I've messed up a couple of meetings and sent calendar invites for the wrong day. Uh, but that being said, uh, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Uh, my team's healthy. So certainly, you know, lots to be grateful for. Uh, I think the team has adjusted really well. Uh, typically, we've got, I manage a couple of folks that work remote normally, uh, but most of us are in the office either in San Francisco or in New York. Um, so it's been an adjustment for most of us, uh, especially the New York folks. They tend to live in relatively small apartments, uh, so even just getting their you know work from home set up, figuring out if they have space for a second monitor, you know, some of the really basic things that we just sort of take for granted, uh, trying to figure those out. You know, a couple of weeks back was an interesting one.
0: Well, you know, and I'm sure also for your team specifically in New York, given uh, you know kind of the climate uh, right around that part of the world right now with the epicenter and some of the cases and the real outbreak that's happened. I hope mentally they're staying strong as well because i'm sure that it weighs on them like should i touch this door and can i go anywhere because it just seems like it's been the hotbed of uh of an outbreak over the last little bit
1: yeah, it's, it's definitely been scary. Uh, and I mean, I, I know my folks pretty well on an individual, on a personal level. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely changed that dynamic a lot of trying to understand how they're coping, how their families are, the environment that they're living in. I mean, even something as simple as the fact that a lot of salespeople are naturally very extroverted, which means we get our energy from being around other human beings. So for those folks that, some of whom are quarantined alone now for weeks on end, right. um, it can be a really draining experience, uh, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally. So, so, yeah, definitely lots to lots to figure out. Um, very unprecedented.
0: Absolutely, and so you know, and I'm glad to hear that uh, you know, yeah. while, while we're all strained and we're all trying to manage this right now, everybody seems to be safe and healthy, and hopefully, we're getting in front of this thing. And so, uh, Katie, with that, with that said, um, let's get into this. So, the title of the podcast is "Your Intention Matters," and that really uh, comes from my position on nothing is really handed to anybody, and most of us have a. Uh, less than straight line path in our career and I'm looking forward to you sharing your story. So if you're ready to go, um, let's get at it.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Um, so so, do you want to start with specific questions or you want me yeah, to dive in? How no, should we handle so,
0: it? So, I, so I'm going to take you back because I, 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 I want to understand a few things here. So you know, understanding you a little bit here, um, before you really started your career, uh, I know you spent some time in Australia and so, so talk to me about that. That was the 90s, early 2000s. Um, how did you get there? And, and what were you doing? And uh, I'd love to hear about that.
1: Thanks for dating me there. Uh, a lot of my team thinks I'm a little bit younger than I am. So th- there you go. Now it's all out in the open. Um, I did. I spent what was originally uh, meant to be about six months in Australia, turned into almost five years. Um, so I graduated high school a year ahead of schedule. Um, so my mom agreed to help sponsor what was really what Europeans would call a gap year, which is not so common for us here in the U.S. I'd grown up in a small town, hadn't traveled much, been very, I don't know, middle class. um, So had certainly, I'd never left the country, had not, I'd been on an airplane, I think twice. Um, So I'm not quite sure how we settled on Australia, uh, but ended up, (laughs) I found a a really great, it was a religious nonprofit um, that organized these six month kind of gigs for uh, folks that were 17 to about 25. Uh, that was really a mix of some element of training, figure out who you are, what you're motivated by, what you love, uh, but a lot of it was focused on other people uh, giving you opportunities to serve and do things for uh, either folks within you know, certain communities within Australia. I ended up spending a good bit of time in Southeast Asia. I worked in some orphanages and refugee camps and things during that season. Again, which was meant to be a, a six-month ordeal. I ended up uh, leading teams for that organization doing everything from fundraising to organizing relief uh, and development trips for about another four years after that first set. So it was an amazing experience. Uh, my family thought I was never going to come home and actually go to college. Uh, university obviously was the plan immediately following that first trip. So took a little bit of a detour, best detour of my life, hands down.
0: Well, I was going to say that must have been a, a cool experience. And you know, you doing it when you did at that point in your life added to it because if you did it now, you know, yeah. you know, you'd enjoy it but it'd be a totally different experience because of of where you're at in your life. And so, um, what was behind the decision to actually come back to the US?
1: Well, I had always planned to go to school at some point. I had planned to do it a bit sooner. Um, so it was sort of always on the agenda and just waiting for the timing to feel right. Um, as well as, of course, dealing with some external pressure of when I was going to go to school. Um, so things finally just fell into place. Um, I did make an effort to speed things up. So I did a four-year degree in three years once I finally did come back, um, studied at Kennesaw uh, here just outside of Atlanta. Uh, funny enough, though, I, did, I studied international affairs with the intention or plan uh, to end up back overseas relatively early. Uh, during that whole process, I'd certainly fallen in love with uh, the nations, with traveling, with diversity, and so many things that I'd never been exposed to you know, throughout my childhood and growing up. So I assumed that I would end up, you know, working for the United Nations back overseas somewhere or living in some small town in Africa. I didn't really know. Um, but I, I studied international affairs, assuming that the path would lead me back overseas. You know, you Katie, know, not I, not into B2B sales.
0: I, I, I'm picking up on a trend here. Uh, graduating high school quickly, uh, graduating college quickly. Um, is, is that just who you are? I love it.
1: Um, I do tend to enjoy doing things relatively quickly. Uh, I'm a very fast study and I can read really quickly. So maybe that all fed into it. I don't know.
0: Well, I'm sure it's serving you well uh, in your career. And so you graduate from Kennesaw uh, in 2006, International Affairs. Uh, I don't imagine you had a selling career uh, in, in your capacity. Do you remember what you thought you might be doing with your life when you graduated? Do you remember your vision back then?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I thought that I would end up back overseas relatively quickly, wanted to work for either a nonprofit um, or an NGO of some sort. So I actually applied for a few different things right out of college, um, a couple of different internships uh, and some things that I didn't get. Uh, but I was also super broke. So the intention was, uh, let's spend six months or a year making a little bit of money so I at least have some options and, and some more flexibility to figure out what I want to do. Um, it was very accidental stumbling into my first interview uh, it was a company called Meltwater. Uh, some, some folks in the US have heard heard of them. They do media monitoring and a lot of other things now. Uh, back then it was literally, they sold a more sophisticated version of Google Alerts, really uh, helped companies understand what was happening in the news relative to their business. Uh, but the big shiny object about Meltwater is that it was a Norwegian based company uh, and very global in scope. So they were opening an office in Atlanta, their, their first round of hires. Um, so I love the idea of being on the ground floor of something, mm. uh, but there was certainly the opportunity of hey if you get in here do really well in a sales role for six months uh, then there's an opportunity to go work in our other offices around the world if you want to end up back in Australia easy transition uh, lots of other things so that was really what got me on the hook for my first sales job Um, I assume I must have interviewed well Uh, I'm relatively extroverted and they were hiring for entry-level talent so somehow I convinced them that I had the chops to figure out how to do sales Uh, I remember though them making me do some mock cold calls uh, and they asked me to come up with a stronger value proposition mm-hmm. i didn't know what a value proposition was <laughs> right. um, so you know it was it was very outside of the scope of anything that i've been exposed to up to that point so i'm i'm grateful they took a chance on me
0: and so you know I, i'm curious given that, that this wasn't really um you know in your wheelhouse so to speak as most of us um are, find ourselves in that boat when we get into sales um, did you enjoy selling initially? Did you find it really challenging? Did it come natural to you? Talk about your first uh, experience with it, whether it's the first year or whatever you wherever you want to take this?
1: Yeah, so it did not come naturally <clears throat> to me at least the selling motion itself. Um, the part that I really did enjoy and I think that came naturally is i'm I'm really curious. So I enjoyed learning about business as soon as I was thrown in. Uh, I think that I was, really lucky to land in a company that had, uh, at that point we had an open territory model. Um, so a lot of flexibility in terms of the types of companies that we wanted to, that I could go after. I also could reach out to large and small companies. Um, so I learned a lot really fast just about how businesses function. I realized that I was just very curious and fascinated about business in general. Mm. Uh, and the fact that I liked learning things, uh, that part of it came really naturally. Uh, and I felt like I was constantly on my toes, challenged. Uh, I, I love you know everything that you have to say about mindset and intention because I agree it's so, so important. Um, the actual selling motion, making back then it was very cold, cold driven. We did some email, um, but it was a different time. It was just a, certainly a less automated process, very little inbound funnel. Um, so it was a lot of pounding the phones. I naturally, you, I'm sure you've already noticed, I naturally talk very fast back then multiply it times about 10 that was my natural pace of how quickly I would speak uh, this is me after working <clears throat> to slow down uh, very deliberately um, so I I mean my first probably three months on the phone my guess is people had a hard time understanding me I certainly wasn't logical in my flow uh, I have memories of my boss sitting next to me you know with big hand motions trying to get me to slow down you know pause stop things like that. Um, So the selling motion itself was a stretch and a challenge for me. Uh, Parts of the role that came very natural, though, were more on the leadership or the management side. So I actually found myself a team lead really, really early in my career as a seller um, and had opportunities to manage teams really long before I was what I would consider like a superstar seller. Uh, Most folks crush it in sales for years and get an opportunity to lead after that. My career was a little bit reversed Um, thankfully for those that I manage now, I found my footing and became really, really strong at sales, but it took me a little bit longer, uh, than some folks that just kind of came in and just sort of, you know, figured it out from day one.
0: Well, you know, your, your comment about management is always is one that hits me because, and I say this sometimes on, on different podcast episodes that I I was a manager when I worked at Xerox for a little bit and I found it really challenging. Uh, there was, I I wasn't very effective at it at all. Uh, and I just, I, I can look back on it and I know I wasn't. Um, I just thought the way I managed was, well, this is the way I did it in field. So this is the way you should do it. And just had a terrible (laughs) impact on the team, I'm sure. Uh, And so um, did you, but you said, so you really enjoyed the management aspect of it because it's two very different skill sets. I mean, you can be a, you know, a dominant individual contributor and be a very ineffective manager. And conversely, you can be an average individual contributor, an average performer and be just a killer a manager, leader, inspirer, and so, um, what is it that you um, that you really enjoy about managing, and why do you think you're so great at it?
1: Well, that's a big statement. I don't know that I would say I think I'm so great at it. I think okay. I've come along come a long, come can, a long way can over use the my years. Words, certainly, then. you can use my words. <laughs> um, I certainly enjoyed that aspect of the role, and I have. I mean, if I look back on every job and every you know step of my career, um, I certainly feel like I thrive in a management role. Um, Early on, I mean, because I didn't feel like I fully had all the sales chops, I think I approached it probably with more humility than some folks that are those star individual contributors that get promoted and then just assume everyone can replicate and do exactly what they've done and be successful. Um, I think I approached it probably a little bit more analytically uh, and trying to take a step back, understand the individual, figure out what makes them tick uh, at least identify one or two things that they were naturally good at so we could lean into those from a strengths perspective mm. uh, versus just fixating on the negatives or the weaknesses um, I think that certainly has helped me throughout my career certainly as I've managed you know larger and larger teams it becomes you know even more important I think because um, people are so unique uh, and so messy yeah. uh, but all of us bring something to the table that I think has you know innate greatness within them. Uh, and the the biggest trip up I see, especially new managers make, is that we fixate on all the things that we need to fix or the things that they're not doing correctly, uh, versus starting in the areas of strength and the things where they're really, uh, you know, natural and leaning in there.
0: You, you mentioned d- during your intro when uh, when we got started here that you worked for uh, both Salesforce and Marketo at, at different points in your career, and I know those two companies to be uh, industry leaders, uh, massive organizations. Um, Marketo is now associated with Adobe and salesforce is salesforce and you know mm-hmm. they 've you know they 're one of the tops in their industries and i 'm always interested when I speak to somebody who works for a, a global company, a market leader, and their decision to leave that company because in most cases, the path of least resistance is just stay there 's a long runway you can have multiple careers and and you get established there and so um, if you're open to it, uh, what, what was behind your decision to leave both Salesforce as well as Marketo uh, when you did?
1: Sure. So it's a little bit different on each of those. Um, I actually joined Pardot before they were acquired by Salesforce. Um, oh, I so that's how, I, that's how I became part of Salesforce. Um, so I was selling uh, into the marketing automation space for about a year before the Salesforce acquisition. Uh, and then I stayed at Salesforce geez, if I'm remembering correctly, probably a year and a half or so after the acquisition, Um, I'm so incredibly grateful for my time at Salesforce because it's where I learned really the mechanics of selling and selling well. Uh, So when you think of all the minutia and the details and the things that are so, so important for AEs to understand, I mean, everything from upfront contracts and setting strong agendas and how to be a driver throughout the sales process and orchestrating clear steps, how to ask direct questions, Mm. identifying concrete next steps, compelling events, you know, Closed plans, mutual valuation plans, all of those things that now looking back and, and even in the teams that I've run feel so obvious, many of us do them. I had no clue at that point. And I just didn't, hadn't had that type of rigorous sales training. Um, so, so grateful. It's, I really feel like at Salesforce is where I, I got my chops as a seller, as opposed to a manager or a leader. Um Big companies, though, tend to move a little bit too slow for me. Uh, we've already, ha- already highlighted the fact that I like to do things quickly. Uh, I like change. I thrive uh, in new environments and different scenarios. Um, Salesforce was a little bit too predictable for me when I looked at uh, moving back into a management path and running teams. Um, so I made the the move from there actually to a really small startup in Atlanta, which is where I worked in between the Salesforce and Marketo gig. So learned a lot during that phase, uh, just felt like I really wanted a challenge, which I think was the primary driver to, to bounce from Salesforce.
0: Yeah. You know, and I can appreciate your comment about working for a massive organization and, you know, having to manage, you know, sometimes they move like glaciers and uh, it, it can be, it can be challenging sometimes. So, so you find yourself uh, at demand base right now. Um, how did that happen? Did you raise your hand? Did they find you? How did you land there?
1: Yeah, so during my time at Marketo, a few folks that I respected wildly had transitioned to demand base uh, throughout, I guess, the three and a half years that I was at Marketo. Uh, One of whom was Mark Siciliano that runs our sales enablement at Demandbase. Uh, He had been running sales enablement at Marketo, uh, an individual I had a ton of respect for and worked really closely with, um, as well as some AEs that that were at Demandbase as well. So I knew a lot of folks uh, there really well. I also had a number of customers from Marketo that were leveraging Demandbase for account-based marketing and account-based advertising specifically. So I'd been hearing about their technology. Demandbase was really the first company to pioneer ABM, before ABM was a buzzword, before everybody was throwing around you know, account-based selling and, and all the things that we were doing 20 years ago and, you know, B2B selling, that's coming back around and becoming much more the mantra and the focus. Um, demand-based really pioneered technology to power that. Um, so I'd heard great things about the company uh, and knew some really, really good people that were there. Um, and after Adobe acquired Marketo, uh, they made some changes too. So at that point, I was running a commercial team out of Atlanta, um, and Adobe made some decisions to move the commercial business over to Denver, uh, and I did not want to move to Denver, so that was my driver to leave. That was your other question: uh, why I left Marketo and Adobe when I did. Um, so the, uh, Mark and the team at DemandBase was the first call uh, or the first text that I sent when I had made the decision that I wasn't going to be transferring transferring to Denver uh, and staying with Adobe. The question was: Hey, any chance you guys are looking for someone on the East Coast? And, was very serendipitous and an opportunity had just opened up, and they were looking for a sales leader based out of New York. And the rest is history.
0: Were you able to create that uh, while still at Marketo, or did you find yourself out of work in between?
1: Um, no, it was, there was like only a two week gap. So, yeah, I oh, went okay. through the process. Yeah, I went through the process with Demand Base. Um, we were in a little bit of a luxurious spot because Marketo had made decisions about winding down the Atlanta office but we were still employed and working and had some time to figure things out while that was happening
0: well you know you you know katie your story has been pretty fascinating You, you you find yourself down under for mm-hmm. what was supposed to be a six month stint, you probably didn't even have a passport prior to that trip. You maybe, but you said you hadn't really accurate
1: been... accurate statement,
0: right? And then six months turns into you know four to five years, maybe a little bit longer. And then you decide, okay, now I need to come back. Some pressure from the family to say, come on, you got to get your education. Great, you come back to Georgia, you graduate with international affairs, and you have your thought as to what you're going to do. And then you find yourself like most of us, we just get into sales. You you have a passion for it. You turn the corner and you develop. Okay, so I, I like selling, but I actually like even leading even more. And and now you find that you've been able to be pretty effective at that, and you've had some good experiences uh, at Salesforce, at Marketo, at Demand Base, and traveling. I know you're supporting the New York team, and but you're based in Atlanta, and you get to go up there periodically, and and uh, and so on. But uh, so it's a, it's a pretty cool career that you've had. Um, and so I always like to ask the question anybody who comes on the podcast if anybody came to you looking for a piece of advice and again whether they are net new at their career or or not anything that stands out that uh, that you would share with them or that maybe has been given to you over the years that has kind of been your your guide so to speak
1: yeah i don't think i have one kind of nugget or core that i would consider like my my guide if you will the tip, and I get this question a ton, is I've been doing a little bit more in terms of, well, prior to COVID, I was doing a lot of public speaking um, and a handful of podcasts and things like this. Uh, always get folks that will grab you you know, right after a session and, you know, I'm super new in my career. Or I just took my first job as an SDR or I'm an SDR trying to get promoted. You know, What piece of advice would you give me? Uh, and it's a hard one because people are so unique uh, and I'm fascinated by individuals. I think the first thing that comes to mind, though, that I always push, especially young people that are early on in their career, um, is think bigger, but also be patient. Um, So we want things really quickly. Uh, I'm very fast paced and I like change, um, but sometimes we have to be willing to take a step back and recognize what we're learning in the season that we're in. Uh, It's especially relevant for folks that are in an SDR role uh, that have probably been there three months, but they're ready to be closing and they want that next promotion, Uh, but they're learning so much in the role that they're in. I look back literally to that first year, year and a half that I spent at Meltwater. um, And there was times where for me, the minutia and the sameness of it was really, really challenging. But when I look back and recognize what I learned during that season about sales, about business, about marketing, about PR and about management, Literally my entire career is different because of that season and certainly there's pieces all along the way where you know in retrospect the things that that I was learning uh, and the skills that I was acquiring were really, really impactful. Um, So that's probably the initial thing that I would push folks on. Uh, I also tell people to be more curious. Um, I talk a lot with my team about asking better questions. It's such a core. Great salespeople are good at asking questions. Certainly, it's a skill that you've developed. to interview folks, you know, even just like myself. Um, So you have to be inquisitive and curious and asking smart questions along the way. That doesn't come natural, at least to some of the folks Mm. that I've managed throughout my career. Part of it's just because we get nervous and we want to be talking or we want to get on to the next thing or we're very focused on controlling the dialogue or controlling the conversation but sometime literally just taking a step back and stopping is, hey, I'd love to hear more about that. That's really interesting. Tell me more uh, and being able to layer into those questions, not because someone taught you a script, but because you're actually interested and you want to know more about what they just said. Um, if you can figure that out early in your sales career, um, that it's going to feed you for years and years uh, as you progress, you know, whether it's a sales or a management track or both.
0: Well, I think that's great advice. Uh, sound on, on both fronts. And, and on that note, um, Let's wrap this one up. I think that's been great.
1: Wonderful. Paul, it's really uh, been been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, Katie, I thank you so much for for freeing up the time to share your story. Uh, It's been fascinating to speak with you. Uh, Everybody, thanks for listening. I appreciate your time. Remember that your intention matters because that's the result that you'll tend to get. We're out of here and uh, we'll see you next week. Be safe, everybody.